0: Pasa Mufasa! Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, we've got Willie Christie, a.k.a. Kakuni, in the house today, a musician based in Los Angeles who's got a new record out with Liquid Culture Records. What's up, Willie? How we doing today? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast.
1: Hello. I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself?
0: Life's good, and I love Los Angeles. I'm a San Diego resident myself, so I spent a lot of time driving up and down the 405 and all that and love catching music out there. So many good venues, so many incredible artists. Hope to make it out to one of your shows very soon. So why don't we just start right off the bat and have you share with the audience a little bit about how you got started with this current project that you're invested in and maybe some of the plans that you're shaping up moving forward with it cool so
1: this this is like my first proper solo you know solo release I had a band when I moved here with a girlfriend which I don't recommend so that didn't work out and I was like you know obviously that uh, I was without a band at a certain point so I was like okay either I wait to get a band together and then spend the two years you know that it takes to get material and write together or i can just kind of write something for myself and basically what i decided was to just because i could do the instruments so i was just like all right i'm just gonna have this written i'm gonna do this thing by myself i'm gonna spend the next six months to write and record an album did that, you know, the whole self-imposed isolation thing. Uh, this was in 2019, before COVID. Uh, and at the end of the recording process, I was kind of uploading it, sending it around to some friends. And I just couldn't get over the fact that it wasn't up to my standards anymore. Like, they, it still felt like a demo to me. But for the first time, I felt like the songs deserved more you know i'd been doing you know demos and writing my own stuff for 10 years at that point just about and this was the first time i was like okay i don't want these songs to go to waste and uh i'd been working with a producer already on a couple tracks it was just like a he liked the stuff i was doing and so days that he'd have off he'd just let me come in and we'd kind of mess around in the studio and he sort of was like he's like you know get this thing done uh, a professional exchange of money, you know, like, which, which is fair. It's like, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I could never feel good about blocking off time where he could actually make money. So it was like, okay, so I'll come up with some money and we'll just actually knock this thing out. And so I did a Kickstarter, raised a bunch of money to pay for him, you know, actually make sure he got the money he was, he deserved and got, you know, got to pay the photographer. And, you know, it was, it was a, wonderful experience it was a lot of work but uh it was really humbling to like see all the people from my past and in my life now that are willing to just support me that was that the album wrapped up in like april the the kickstarter wrapped up in february of 2020 and we managed to finish the recording about a month into lockdown and then the album was done for you know the entire pandemic and i just wanted to release it with a cd release show so we just kept kept putting it off not knowing that it was going to be two years you know
0: yeah so you were ahead of the curve with the whole self-imposed isolation bit which is a a trade secret of many great musicians right you kind of decamp from the world at large and go focus on your writing and recording etc and one of the questions i always like to ask artists is how do you know when a song is finished and I know that it's something that a lot of people grapple with, right? There's this sense of like, I could add this extra line of instrumentation. You know, sometimes to quote from, I believe it was Ed O'Brien or one of the guys from Radiohead, who I often talk about on the podcast because I'm a super fan, he mentioned like, Sometimes a song is just complete in and of itself. You don't need the drums and the bass. Like sometimes you come out with a guitar and a voice and it's a great song. Other times, you know, you want to build it up with a horn section and you've got, you know, three drummers and rhythm and this and that. So in your process, how do you know when a song is finished?
1: That that's a really good question. In my mind there are like two two competing two competing things. There's there's the old Pixar. Pixar Studios which their their famous quote is they never finish a movie they just release it because of a deadline and then there's also like this other school that I'm sort of getting into which is allegedly Prince's uh, whole thing was if the song isn't done in one day he never went back to it <laughs> he would wake up start working on a song and if it wasn't by the end of the day done by the end of the day he wouldn't go back and do it. So I'd say, I mean, granted, those are two of the most opposite ends of the spectrum, but I'd like to think I'm about somewhere in between those two where you you either just know it's done, you don't need to do much, or it just needs some work. If it feels good, it feels good. But I also, that is also one of the benefits of bringing in a producer is you can, you know, you can be beating your head against the wall or you can be thinking a song is done or missing something and generally that second set of ears from somebody that you respect can really help you just know this is good or what if we take this out even or you know maybe we just add like a small little part i think a good example of that was there there's a neil young cover on there and i was just showing him i had done it randomly i heard the song for the first time and one night and was like, this has to be a Radiohead cover. I remember specifically being like, I swear I've heard Tom York sing this before. Like, I swear I've heard this cover looked it up. Didn't exist. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll cover it then. And I learned it that night and recorded it just on my phone, like literally just voice memo and um, was just showing it to him. I was like, hey, check this out. Have you heard this song? What do you think about this like little rendition? And he's like, let's let's put that on the album and all he did was just add some synths underneath it was like I'd say two maybe three different synth patches like all together and then it was still like the original guitar the original vocal recording that I then overdubbed but we kept the original in there specifically because like on that that very first moment you know there's a lot of special energy being captured and so I thought that was really unique. I never would have thought to, you know, put put out a voice memo recording with just there's, you know, there's no drums, there's no bass, but the song stands on its own.
0: Yeah, there's so many ways to peel a banana, right? I don't know that there is a right answer, but I think having collaborators is hugely beneficial so you can sort of detach yourself from the process sometimes because it's so easy as an artist to just get so invested and you're scrutinizing it and then at a certain point it's like is it even fun like do i like playing this song over and over but i think that's the nature of a lot of perfectionists and people who want to you know invest really quality time and care into your project so for me personally having been in bands and this and that and the other i think that's where the collaborators come in where they're like dude you're too close to this one it sounds great you're overthinking it right you get paralysis by analysis so i think that's something that a lot of creators wrestle with from time to time and to quote from another favorite of mine daniel lenoir wonderful producer he mentioned that all artistic projects have a peak and that the sign of a great artist is you can recognize that peak and walk away from it when you hit the peak that okay that's as good as we're going to make this project and of course that takes a lot of time and nuance and practice to be able to recognize those things so of course, this podcast is called Mycopreneur, primarily focusing on people who are mushroom entrepreneurs. But by virtue of my interests and in being intersectional, we talk a lot about music, a lot about cannabis, this, that. We talk a lot about travel, things like that. It goes far beyond the canopy or the umbrella of just mushroom entrepreneurism. One thing that fascinates me is how different psychoactive experiences and different drugs impact music production and it's something that I studied back in college I had a bunch of media classes that overlapped with music having been in the media program I was in and one of the things that caught my attention was this idea that like with reggae you could tell weed is the primary antagonist or weed is the primary contributor to a lot of these sounds right you have the dub element and like the really entrancing rhythms right and then you have Metal and maybe amphetamines were involved in the 80s punk scene in metal. It's much different, really fast, right? And now you have a bunch of psychedelic music coming out. You know, you have people like East Forest and, you know, Tame Impala, right? Tons of artists who I know you're familiar with a lot of them. So in your own process, I'd be curious... What substances, if any, do you find work particularly well with you writing versus performing versus rehearsing? Is there like a blanket process that you have or, you know, different things for different reasons? Or can you, you know, just walk us through a little bit about that? That's a good question. Most of it's weed writing process.
1: The creative process is almost always weed. I grow myself. I breed. So I've got I've always got a bunch of weed on me so that's very easy and it's a big part of my life so I feel like whether or not I smoke I feel like it's still informing the music uh, but I, I like to smoke write and then I like to kind of be sober and edit or and I, I think there was a there's some quote I forget who said it but it's like you know write drunk or write high and then edit sober which I think is good, and also sometimes I'll, I'll write sober and then I'll smoke weed and listen to the song immediately and uh, kind of maybe not necessarily edit, but if I'm second guessing myself or just want a new perspective, I'll just smoke and then give it a listen with you know fresh ears, or and I, I find that that helps a lot too. I just get you know like when I bring in a producer to get a second opinion on it. You know, smoking weed is sort of me bringing in like the, bringing in the artist. Just like, okay, what do you what do you think about this? The 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 sober guy did this one, and then performing, I, I wish I could perform high. the The problem is, and I've learned this recently too, because I just picked up the saxophone. Uh, that's part of the live show. Is me playing the saxophone, and I'll tell you right now, playing saxophone with cotton mouth is a nightmare. It's really. And it's unfortunate because, like, I I really wish I could. I, I, like, I don't get, like, shy or overthink things when I'm high. It's just, like, physically my mouth gets dry and I have trouble singing and I have trouble playing saxophone. So, unfortunately, uh, whenever I'm performing, it's usually alcohol, uh, which I rarely drink in my personal life. But uh, for a show, what I usually do is like a jack and coke something like that just like a simple little cocktail that helps just loosen the ends and uh just lets me let go a little bit more but yeah i wish i wish i could smoke before it shows i just i just have to stop myself and even when i'm like recording too as much as i'd like to be high like i feel like um i know when i smoke i get quiet and my voice gets very soft, and and it happens when I'm singing too. So I, I've learned to I have to record sober sometimes with singing, have to record sober, uh, which is unfortunate because I, I wish I didn't have to, but it's uh, it makes me feel more professional too on that on that tip. Like I I do feel like okay, it's time to time to do some work. <laughs>
0: Yeah, totally. I I hate being on stage high, man. I fully empathize with that. You know, I love smoking weed. I love being high, but I'm very much an introverted stoner. And when you're in front of an audience and you're especially on stage, like you can't be in You can but you don't want to be introverted right you want to be able to connect with the audience you want to be able to have the the witty banter between songs and stuff like that and I find that very difficult when I'm stoned I think Mitch Hedberg had a quote where he's like people assume because I'm a stoner that like I'm always high on stage He's like that's the last thing I want to do is have like thousands of people staring at me with a bright spotlight on me while I'm you know second guessing my life choices and that quote that you dropped about write drunk edit sober I think was Jack Kerouac that's a good one so I, I really I really appreciate that approach to process too. I like to do a lot of my work sober and then come in high and edit it because it's like having your own editor, right? You're seeing it with a different pair of eyes. So I think that's really valuable to learn that and how it works for you. So one thing I always like to ask artists is about your experience transitioning from being a hobbyist and someone who's like passionate about music and recording in your bedroom towards making a real go of this and, you know, hiring the professional producer, having the label, doing the shows, the album art. That's quite a jump, right? And I think a lot of people want to do it, but it's nerve wracking, right? So I would like to hear your experience. I believe you moved out from the Midwest. You went to L.A., right? there, right then and there, that's like a pretty big commitment, right? To like uproot yourself from a familiarity and go throw yourself into the belly of the beast. I've lived in LA. I'm familiar with more or less how the community works. What's your experience been like transitioning from sort of a hobbyist side project into Cocoonie on Liquid Culture Records?
1: I mean, it's, it's been the same process. I'll tell you right now. For me, it's, I've been doing it like this, for about 12 years now just just knowing that I wanted to do it you know knowing that you know my first album that I recorded or released was self-recorded self-released and sort of like touching on what I was saying earlier like I had been just releasing my own records you know and just accepting like these are lo-fi I'm gonna make it sound as good as I can but this is about it and really deep down inside, I knew that the material couldn't, I didn't justify like a fancy studio. It didn't justify putting more money into it than say like a couple hundred bucks for like microphones and, you know, recording gear. Because I was like, instead of paying somebody thousands of dollars to record this, I I could buy thousands, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of recording equipment and give it my best shot, knowing that. I will learn and I will get better and better eventually, you know, kind of keeping, keeping the power in house, if you will. Um, And so basically I I knew that I needed to be in LA. I felt like that was the best place to like flourish creatively. A lot of my idols live out here. Um, There seems to be a lot of musicians living here. I couldn't tell you why, but to, you know something about the weather something about the culture uh so that was you know being a musician and like a weed cannabis advocate it's sort of and also hating the winter <laughs> really hate the winter so i uh la seemed to be a no-brainer for me and when it came time to do this project i like i said the the material was too good i, I was like this is finally worth that extra push. Cause I always had my mom being like, Oh, why don't you put some more money into, why don't you promote this blah, blah, blah. And really deep down inside, I was like, this is more just like a hobby. I'm it's not good enough yet, you know? And obviously that's a trap for per- perfectionists. You could, you could do that your whole life. And so I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I'd ever get to that point, but I was happy with where I was at. And so, uh, yeah, this project just spoke to me. It was like, this one deserves a little more time. This one deserves some investment, you know, really. And I, I put in what I could. And then I put in that work for the Kickstarter. And uh, that. so I'd still say I'm on the way, honestly. I, I'm not a full-time musician. I don't really make much money from it. Um, but like I said, I've been doing it for free for 12 years. You just, you just learn. You just pick up things on the way where I'm like, okay, I need some good album art, I need a good graphic designer. And those happen to be friends. That was also a big part of the reason I moved to LA was knowing that there's a lot more people doing what I'm doing, doing something that works with what I'm doing. And we're all in it together. You know, I've got friends that need music for their music videos, and I need music videos for my music. And so we just re it's it's wonderful to have so many like collaborators and creative friends out here that are willing to just like work, you know, like we'll get together and instead of like going to a bar or going to a park and just sitting, it's like we'll do a project. We'll like, you know, design a t-shirt or, you know, a, an imaginary weed brand or something.
0: Dope. I like that. Rising Tide lifts all boats, right? You want to be around the action and you get inspired by other people and the projects they're working on. That's great to be a part of a community like that. Yeah. So, let's get technical here. Let's talk about the gear you're using. I'm always interested to hear about people's DAWs, right? Workstations, uh, your, your primary instrument and your brand of choice, if you will. And also to hear about like, how you go about composing. Are you writing on a piano first? Are you starting with a few cor- chords on a guitar? Let's talk about uh, technicality, gear, and, and you know how, how you write a song cool. I hope you like this one. This is
1: my gear extremely limited. I use a very affordable version of Ableton. <laughs> so it's Ableton because I, I just love how creative it feels. Like I used Logic. I've used Pro Tools in the past, but you know, I'm not creating finished products here. You know, that's not my goal. And I find that like, if I do try to start a song with it being professionally industry standard by the end of it, I just fuck myself up. Sorry, am I allowed to cuss here?
0: Fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) okay.
1: Yeah, I I find that I just fuck myself up. Like getting already, you know, being a creative person, it's already like you're battling yourself the whole way. So Ableton helps keep it fluid, keeps the pressure off. I, I like being able to record a shitty drum loop and then like just chop it up and reverse it and mess with it just in the DAW, which I feel like... Ableton is really good at just getting the creative juices flowing. So gear wise, it's Ableton with a lot of soft synths. Uh, I've got a Profit and Juno like patch, you know, it's, I wish I could afford the actual synth. So, but I, until then I have a little plugin that sounds just like it. I've got my MIDI keyboard and uh, the producer Tony Buchan hates soft sense, but was always like floor he's like, damn it, like here's another one. I guess guess we'll keep this one too, cause, you know, it's essentially the same thing uh as the real one. It's about as close as you can get, and with you know, a little reverb and a little fancy touch. You can make it sound ninety-eight percent identical, which is good enough for me. But in terms of writing traditionally i start with acoustic guitar that was my first instrument that was what i started writing songs on and i feel like if i force myself to write the whole song on guitar just focusing on melody chord structure and chord progression or song structure and chord progression i I find that like i'm writing real songs and then when i write an ableton you know set up a drum loop and then a little synth bass and maybe some electric guitar or something I find that like those are a lot more like moody or vibey, kind of like just more ethereal sounding, you know, it's more like emotional and I feel like it's more of like a painting process for me uh, when I start writing on the computer versus when I start on the guitar, it is like it's a song, you know, the bones of the song are set, the bones are solid and then you can dress it up however you want. But so I, I've got sort of, I'd say like two different methods right now. Like I get my, and you can kind of tell on the album, you know, like Dreaming Venus, for example, is a song song. And the forever is a song song. And then some of the other tracks like Zorio, the like spacey Krautrock one, that was more done on the, uh, on the computer, you know, and those are more like free form sort of, I, I like to think of it like a sound painting more so than like a, a b a b c structured song which i think both of them have room on the album both of them do different things and feel different ways so uh but yeah generally if it's if it's a song i'm trying to write i'll even still 12 years later guitar acoustic guitar and i lately try to I've got a million guitar riffs saved in my phone, and so what I've learned is you gotta throw the vocals down. You even as whack as they're feeling, if you can throw the vocals down to record that first idea, you're in a lot better position. So that's what I've been working on right now is every time I play the guitar and come up with a cool idea, gotta put something on top of it. otherwise, it's the the expectations just get way too high. After two years of listening to this sick guitar riff, You know, it just gets higher and higher until you're just like, there's no way. I I can't even, every single idea that I have is not gonna be as good as what I think this song deserves having sat for two years just rocking in my brain.
0: Yeah, I've heard Paul McCartney talk about just putting down vocal phrasings, like not even having lyrics, just like instead of yesterday, just like, huh, Scrambled eggs. Right, yeah, just this idea. And there's a number of writers to go back to Tom York, and I think a number of people do this who just like have their lines, cut them up, and then throw them in a hat and then draw the lines. And there's something that is really powerful about that, where, you know, especially as a songwriter, it's so easy to just get frozen thinking, like, is this a corny line? Does this song make sense? But like, the reality of the situation could be that, like, A lot of people don't necessarily care about the lyrics. Like they want the song. They want it. You know, you want to think of how many, like Beck. I absolutely love Beck. I have no idea what he's talking about, right? I don't really want to know half the time. I think that's something as an artist that's like really dope when you can just kind of go with it. There's another songwriter I love dearly named Steve Poltz, who's a San Diegan. And he wrote the jewel hit, You Were Meant For Me. And he's had a great career. But his whole thing is like, you just need to finish songs because when you finish a song, your brain knows that you're a songwriter. And all songwriters, especially when you're not necessarily a professional, you just have this like whole collection of unfinished songs. Who's who, is that doing anyone any good? Steve Poltz's mentality is write a wacky song that's kind of laughable, doesn't take itself too seriously, but you're a songwriter. Your brain knows you're a songwriter, so. I try to take that advice, and that's kind of the way I like to approach it when I am writing. So this is another fun one I like to get into, influences. You've already mentioned Neil Young, right? We heard the, the term Krautrock. Uh, I can tell, you know, the the producer you've worked with has some really great artists under his belt. Uh, I was I grew up on Smashing Pumpkins. You know, I was a big fan of Siamese Dream and Melancholy specifically back when I was younger. So who are some of your, like, ride or die artists, people who have, you know, been seminal influences for you. Let's start there. Ride or die, seminal influences. And then let's move up towards who you're listening to currently that you're excited about.
1: Cool. So seminal influences, I have to say the first the first like rock band I discovered, I went to private school, my mom listened to country. My dad was an athlete and a you know money guy. So There wasn't much music, but then I discovered Queen. I I just loved how, and maybe it was something about growing up in the church where you still had this like full harmony, but this like theatrical event and then like absolutely ripping guitar tones and solos from Brian May. Um, And then that led quickly to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, also in seventh grade, discovered them. They were my favorite, favorite. I have a, I have a tattoo I got when I was 19 uh because that blood sugar sex sex magic album was just like so cool for me for years you know i've i've outgrown them musically now uh, i kind of wear this tattoo with a little bit of shame but like i i still think californication is like a pop masterpiece as goofy as it is like i i've been i've been in different countries i've been working at ups and like a red hot chili pepper song comes on and like The most random people will sing, sing it out loud. And like that to me, it's like, I don't care how, you know, corny or cheesy a band is like really that the whole point is bringing people together and like they do that. They're one of the biggest rock bands. So I am uh, only semi ashamed to be such a hardcore Chili Peppers fan. And then throughout high school, like, discover, you know, I was listening to, like, Eminem and stuff, but I discovered, like, Jay Dilla and some more, like, electronic music stuff in high school. And then college, obviously, was where I did most of the work. That was when I discovered I was a Radiohead fan. You know, I, I had downloaded some albums knowing that they were a big band and didn't think much of it, didn't think much of it until one day I was like, oh, I've listened to this, like, I've listened to OK Computer, like, 800 times this year you know like i guess i'm a radiohead fan you know it just sort of dawned on me one day i was like oh i guess i like this the mars Volta was definitely an influence i don't listen to them so much anymore but like man the 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 jams on that were great i I thought that that was always like it was like the best parts of king crimson distilled into like eight albums (laughs) so i thought that was cool uh obviously tame and paula is you know beautiful beautiful musician i i love what he does obviously being a solo self producing person like I, I draw a lot of inspiration from him um and like right now probably one of my favorite artists is this guy named luke temple he's got a project called art Feynman that i think is one of the coolest things and he's like very influenced by like can which is probably one of my favorite bands still uh Ever since I discovered them, they just blew my mind. Uh, That's the kraut rock that I'm in love with. Just like, it's, that music came out in 1974. And it could, if it came out today, I would be like, this is amazing. You know, the fact that it's been around for nearly 50 years and still feels relevant and cool and meaningful is just like, obviously there's something to be said for that. So I think that right now, like I'm really into talking heads. I really, I love David Burns sort of like, it's like percussion first and fun first, you know, which I, I, I'm trying to like take songwriting less seriously. It's a lot less, you know, encumbering that way. And so like having more fun and putting out like a good dancey vibe is like it, it's an easier place to start from than like sad or lonely or whatever. You know, you can still make a really sad song and have it be fun to listen to. And not saying that everything has to be fun and uplifting, but like it's a lot more fun making it. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I, I think there's one other artist that I'm like really studying. Bjork is obviously a huge influence, but somebody else that I'm like trying to emulate, but I can't, think of off the top of my head i'd say talking heads is sort of the uh where I'd like to take the project next, though.
0: Dope. I love David Byrne. I love Bjork. You mentioned a lot of names there that are very near and dear to my heart. I'd love to see David Byrne's Broadway show. I know he's got a really sensational show he's been doing. I don't know if he's actively doing it. Yeah, I've read a couple of his books, too. I don't know if you've had a chance, but he's got How Music Works is one that comes to mind, and then another one that he wrote. And it's really interesting to hear their process and kind of you know his approach to songwriting, his approach to performance, and musicianship. And yeah, there's just so many good artists out there right now. I think it's easy sometimes to get overwhelmed because you don't know where to start, but I find just, you know, tapping into one artist you love and then finding their influences is really helpful. One I want to just plug you on right now. I don't know if you've ever heard of Blake Mills, but just with all the names you've just put out, he's fantastic. I've gone down a deep Blake Mills rabbit hole over the last year or so and especially now in this era of like heavily produced digital electronic music. I love a lot of that stuff, but like, hearing just these very raw recordings of like you know the drums sound like they have t-shirts over them and there's cracking in the voices like to me there's something very gritty and authentic about that and I love when an artist can really let that shine through and just capture this very organic very magical sound uh something that you know to me is endlessly fascinating and yeah yeah I've actually been getting more into electronic music because it's something that you know I kind of like it when it's on on a playlist, but, like, I started listening to Odessa and, you know, some of the, like, Giraffage, some of these artists, and, you know, kind of seeing where the Spotify playlist takes me, and I think that comes as a result of, like, being very into music and then playing my favorite records and artists to death. And I think there's something there where you're just like, man, what am I learning here? Like, I I, I love this band. I love the Chili Peppers. But like, do I need to listen to them again right now? Like, maybe there's a whole other musical, you, you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced that, but I, I find myself having to push myself. I have to push myself to try new artists and be like, all right, I'm going to like, I started listening to Lil Baby, you know, like, I like Drake a lot. Drake's got a lot of Lil Baby. I better listen, you know, download a few albums And Kevin Parker and Tame Impala is one I kind of need to get into. Everybody loves them. I'm familiar with them. I've heard the radio songs. Uh, and then, you know, I haven't really dove into them, though. I think that will happen at some point. And the one other... I had a funny story I wanted to mention. I used to live in Malibu up in the hills. And it's like, you know, a really artistic community in a lot of ways with like a lot of heavy hitters who live there. And before I lived there, Kevin Parker was one of the neighbors in the house I was in. And it was actually during the fires in Malibu. And he had turned off his phone and turned off all his communication devices because he was recording. So the story goes that... He was not evacuated because he turned off the phone, turned off that, you know, he was up late into the night drinking wine, all of that stuff, and then woke up with a helicopter circling over the house telling him he had to get out. And apparently he left and didn't have time to save a bunch of his stuff. So like hard drives full of unreleased music from Kevin Parker and Tame Impala burned up in that fire, which I always thought was like a really insane story. And like, how do you even value that with the insurance? I don't know. But anyways, just kind of like a crazy story, you know. Um, a wild one. But dude, we're kind of hitting the sweet spot here. We could talk ad nauseum about music. But before I let you go today, I would love to hear about what's coming on the horizon for Kakuni. You know, I know you just did an album release show in LA. I would imagine you're eager to get back to live performances after COVID and all that. What are you working on right now? What can we look forward to with this project over the next couple of months?
1: So the last couple practices, we took some time off after the album release show because that was sort of What we'd been working for for the past year was learning the album and learning how to play that live, you know, incorporating backing tracks because I can't afford three synth players, you know, and we don't have the stage space or the rehearsal space for that. So we got the set down and then took, you know, took a month off after the show. And then the last couple practices, we've just been jamming, just kind of getting getting the juices flowing again. And what I like to do, I think it was Charles Mingus who was really known for like writing parts for his band members, you know, and when you're recording a jam, it's already there, you know, it's already something that they're playing. So if you can like write and arrange songs based off of something that they've already played, they're going to be able to lean into that a lot more than you ever could. You know, it's they know themselves better than I do. And so it's like, it's so much easier to start with something they've already started. So we've been writing new material, uh, getting jams out, and I'm basically working on Kakuni 2, you know, at any any chance I get. The, we're taking some time off for the holidays. Obviously, it's not really, uh, not really good show time around L.A. A lot of people leave and whatnot. But, yeah, hopefully we'll be getting into some, like, cool, like, mushroom festivals, weed festivals this year. That's sort of like that's that would be a really fun thing for us, I think would be to just get into that atmosphere. Cause obviously our music is like very psychedelic informed by psychedelics. And so that's sort of, you know, nothing set, nothing on the books right now. Just sort of writing. Just really focusing on getting some new exciting material out and probably gonna start booking shows in January for, you know, March, April, I don't really plan on playing any shows until about like March or April or so once it warms up. Cause like I said, I, I hate the winter. Even the LA winter is still, it'll still, it's enough for me to not want to go outside.
0: Hell yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll be following and I, you know, I'm a Southern California native, so I'll be in the neighborhood passing through every now and again. So thank you very much. We got Willie Christie, of Kakuni in the house today. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to, you know, following your trajectory and making it out to one of the live shows in the near future. Once it warms up.
1: Thank you. You've got yourself a backstage pass right now. VIP ticket. (laughs) That's
0: what I do it for, baby. The cloud. No, thanks. Thanks again, man. I really had a good time doing this. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dennis. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At mycopreneur podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micropreneur Podcast.